Chapter 12 Alex sat at the large dining table, her laptop humming away beside her, and Eric's medical files scattered across the vast, oaken expanse. She hadn't changed out of her cozy sleep shirt, but had tamed her wayward curls in a loose ponytail and had brewed another pot of strong coffee. An hour ago. She checked her laptop clock periodically, wondering if it was really possible for someone, even a ranger, to go jogging for an hour in sub-zero temperatures. She'd have to go looking for him if he didn't come back soon. In the meantime, she focused on the files in front of her, trying to determine where she should even begin. There was literally so much wrong with him that she could spend hours discussing it all. Most things he probably wouldn't care about or wouldn't have the background knowledge to understand easily. She knew instinctively that she probably wouldn't get much time or attention from him, so she had to decide which areas to cover and hope that he didn't just storm off again. To go jogging, of all things. And she definitely had to keep her hands off him this time, or he'd bolt again for sure. His rejection should have stung, but oddly, it hadn't. Ironically, it caused a cautious little hope to flare in her. If sex between them had truly meant nothing to him, as he'd so adamantly insisted, he would have welcomed her playful advances. He would have taken the pleasure and the release and her no-strings-attached guarantee and just enjoyed himself. But instead, he'd stopped her cold, told her that they shouldn't do it again, and then he'd beat it out of there like a scared rabbit, hardly even stopping to do up his coat. She smiled to herself, strangely pleased at the effect she was having on him. She didn't want to upset him, of course, but she did wish she could shake some sense into him. She wanted to banish his fears and convince him that it was the most natural thing in the world for two people who loved each other to actually love each other. But this was Eric Johansson, she reminded herself, one of the most stubborn, arrogant, pig-headed men she had ever met. Convincing him of anything was never going to be easy, especially when it came to the two of them. She paused and chewed thoughtfully on the end of her pencil. She wasn't entirely sure why he was so skittish about having a relationship with her, or why he absolutely refused to kiss her or make love in a more sensual way. But it was definitely fear that held him back, some unknown, unfathomable dread that kept pushing her away. He had no reason to fear her. She knew every side of his character, had gotten to know him thoroughly, warts and all. She had seen him at his worst and at his weakest, and at his strongest and best. She had buffeted his storms and enjoyed his moments of peace, and through it all, she had simply accepted him and cared about him, loved him. There was no room for fear or uncertainty in the face of such uncomplicated, almost unconditional love. If he could just let go and allow her in, she could show him. Noises from the back door alerted her, and she breathed out a sigh of relief. She didn't really have to worry about him. He could always take care of himself, but her heart didn't always listen to the wisdom of her mind. She listened to him stomp the snow from his boots and then slide them off, heard him slip off his coat and then pour himself a cup of coffee. 
Ten minutes ticked by in her laptop clock before he finally ambled into the living room. He looked over at her in surprise, obviously not expecting her to be at the dining table. Or maybe he just hadn't expected her to be fully clothed. From his wary look, she thought he might have expected to find her sprawled naked on the sofa, waiting for his return. He looked frozen solid as he strolled over to the table, his face mottled and splotchy, his nose a bright red bulb. Like Rudolph, she thought. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Ranger. She lowered her head so as not to laugh, knowing that it would definitely be the wrong thing to do. He sipped from his coffee cup and slid into the chair opposite her, with a tired exhalation of breath. Cold air positively radiated from him, and she noticed how chapped and red his hands were, too. He'd probably dashed out of there without gloves, either, in his hurry to get away from her siren song. He didn't even look at her now, just let his gaze travel over the files, fanned out on the table. He put down his cup and frowned. Is all this stuff about me? All of it, she nodded, following his gaze. Some files were so thick that the manila folder barely stayed closed. X-ray films and sonograms littered the table, along with EKG printouts and lab results. And that was just the stuff that hadn't been transferred to the computer yet. Wow. Wow doesn't even come close, she said. He casually lifted up a file folder and opened it, his eyes quickly scanning over the contents before he tossed it aside and picked up another one. He probably didn't know exactly what he was looking at, but she got the feeling he wouldn't mind finding out. She seized the opportunity gratefully. If you're up for it, maybe we could talk about some of this? She asked. He tossed aside the folder he was holding and leaned back in his chair, a casual slouch of a pose that belied the hesitancy in his eyes. I'm all yours. Oh, if only that were true. Okay, she took a deep breath. Where to begin? A captive, silent Eric Johansson, ready and willing to discuss his medical condition? Oh, somebody pinch her. You know, you know, I never did get a full account of, um... She paused, unsure if this was the right place to start. But he looked at her so intently that she didn't want to risk backing down now. Of, um, everything that happened at that facility that you were in. He looked away, the visual equivalent of a dismissive hand wave. That's because there is no full account. There's nothing more to tell. I know, I know, you don't remember too much, she said. But maybe you can tell me what happened just before you were... Um, taken. His brow furrowed. You mean the ambush? Yes, if you remember it. He looked away, sighed, looked back. Does it matter? She shrugged. Honestly, I don't know. But anything you can remember might help trigger some other memories. It's worth a try. We were ambushed, he said flatly. We walked into a fucking trap. Everyone got killed. Except uh, you and Nick and Aiden. He blew out another sigh. Except us. He looked up then, and something glimmered in his eyes. Some memory or some flash of insight. She could see it clearly in the way his eyes darted and focused sharply, replaying an image in his mind. What? 
she prompted. What do you remember? It's probably nothing, he said, staring off into the distance over her shoulder. Then his eyes flicked back to hers. It's just... He trailed off and was maddeningly silent for a long time. She lowered her head to meet his and asked gently, It's just what, Eric? His eyes snapped to hers and he frowned, as though she'd interrupted a daydream. After a moment he seemed to find the right words, or at least a willingness to speak them. He sat forward. Okay, see, when the shit hit the fan, I had taken cover in one of the houses. We were in a village, just a little collection of stone buildings, and Nick had ordered me to hole up in one and take out one of the snipers. I had a hell of a time finding the prick. That's the first thing I noticed. You noticed the sniper first? She clarified, not understanding. He shook his head. No, no, that's my point. Usually, insurgents are easy to spot, even the snipers. But this guy wasn't. He was good. Too good. He paused again, like this was the only explanation he need give. Go on, she said. His eyes glazed a little, seemingly lost in the memory. When he spoke again, his voice was low and musing. There were lots of other shooters around, and they were different too. I mean, we'd been dealing with insurgents for years, all of us. We knew the kind of guys they were. They were farmers and teenagers and shit, just average guys. No match for trained soldiers. But these guys? He paused, his eyes narrowing. Even though they looked like locals, I'm pretty sure they weren't local. They were just too good, too efficient. They had to be military, or ex-military, maybe, mercs like us. She frowned, not knowing what to say. She knew the story of the Fallen Twelve, how one of the rangers, a man named James Reed, had betrayed his unit and led them into an ambush by Afghani insurgents. She knew now that it had only been an official cover story, and that the truth had never been fully ferreted out. But this was the first time she'd ever heard a different version of the actual events of that day. If Eric was saying that the team hadn't been taken down by insurgents, but by trained soldiers for hire? And then there was a thing with Nick. She blinked. What thing with Nick? He hesitated and met her eyes again briefly before looking away. She sensed he didn't want to tell these stories. At PGI, he never spoke about the ambush and even left the room if it ever came up. To relive it now was painful, and she was torn between telling him to stop and encouraging him to continue. If she could learn something more about who had taken him and what they had done to him, she had a much better chance of helping him. After I finally took out the sniper, I left the building through a side door. When I turned the corner, Nick was right there on the ground. He'd been hit in the leg, and there was an insurgent standing a few feet away, aiming a gun at his head. I didn't even think. I just threw myself in front of Nick as the guy fired. So he hit me instead. She swallowed, her stomach twisting painfully. She tried not to let any emotion show in case he stopped talking. She knew what it felt like to get shot. She didn't want to even think about it happening to him. But that was a funny thing, he said moving on, frowning at the memory. It wasn't a gun. I mean, it was a gun, but it wasn't a firearm. 
That's the last thing I remember thinking. I think now it must have been a trank. A tranquilizer gun? She repeated. Yeah. He nodded absently, his mind clearly back there. And later, in the facility during those times when I was sort of lucid, I remember thinking that maybe the ambush hadn't been what it appeared to be. She frowned, sitting back in her chair. Her heart was beating loudly, and a strange feeling washed over her. Something important was going on here, she realized. Nick didn't know any of this. Of that, she was absolutely certain. This was new information. Vital information. I think, he said, pausing as he met her eyes. They wanted Nick. I just got in the way, so they took me instead. Jesus, she whispered. Yeah, he nodded. Fucked up, isn't it? I mean, the whole thing was planned just to take Nick. But they had to settle for me. Later, in, in the place, I, I could hear people arguing and shouting, and I got the impression that something had gone seriously wrong. What did they say? She asked breathlessly. He waved it away. I couldn't make out their words. They doped me up with so much shit I didn't even know who the fuck I was. But I got the feeling that somebody had seriously fucked up. Alex sat back, trying to process this new information. Everyone at PGI had figured Eric had just been the, quote, unluckiest son of a bitch on the face of the earth, unquote, as Nick so eloquently put it. Only three guys had survived the ambush, and only because they had been shot and appeared dead. Nick and Aiden had been taken in and cared for by sympathetic villagers. But Eric, poor, unlucky son of a bitch Eric, He'd been taken by someone with much more sinister ideas in mind. An abduction of opportunity, Nick had surmised. Probably some local had sold information to whoever it was that eventually grabbed him, or maybe even sold him outright. That was their guess, anyway. But now Eric's account of that day challenged that assumption. Turned it on its head, in fact. If Eric's abduction hadn't been a random, opportunistic act, but rather a botched plan by trained mercenaries, no less, to take Nick instead, it cast a whole new light on the entire ambush itself. Why do you think they wanted Nick instead of you? She asked, still hardly able to make sense of it all. Eric's shoulder rose in a languid shrug. Who knows? At first I thought it was because he was our master sergeant, and sometimes insurgents like the highest-ranking hostages they can find, but then, he frowned again, when I realized I was in some medical facility, not some fucking cave with a video camera in my face, I figured that couldn't have been it. My rank didn't mean shit to them. Did you tell Nick about this? She asked, already knowing the answer. His jaw muscle flexed. No. Why not? Don't you think he needs to know? Know what? He scoffed. That nine of his men were killed so that someone could abduct him and experiment on him? That a tenth man was taken in his place and held captive for six months by some sadistic fuck? No, I don't think he needs to know that. She stared at him, hating the bitterness in his voice. 
There was so much more inside him than she'd ever know about, she realized with alarm. He had gone through so much that he would never tell her about. She lowered her chin and carefully considered her next words. You have to tell him, Eric. He needs to know everything that happened. I could be wrong, Eric said. I don't want to tell him anything if I'm not sure. But none of you are sure of anything at this point, she countered. Yeah, but the other two weren't pumped full of drugs for six months and turned into a fucking head case either, he said testily, and sighed. How do you know I didn't just imagine the whole goddamn thing? Do you think you might have? she asked. I don't know. I don't think so, but fuck. He leaned forward and ran his hands through his hair. He breathed out a harsh breath, and she knew he was struggling to control himself. He looked up sharply. I thought you wanted to know about the shit they did to me, he said, forcing a change in direction. He leaned forward and picked up an MRI film. All this stuff. Let's talk about this. What's, what's this? She sighed, regarding him for a moment. She still didn't know what to make of what he had just said, but she had to store it away for later. Consider what to tell Nick and what to conceal. For now, she had to deal with his medical situation, before he changed his mind altogether and left. That's an MRI of your brain, she said, swallowing the lump in her throat, the one I sent you to that clinic for last month. He turned it around and gazed at it. And? Well, I was looking for something specific, and I found it. She sighed, a little unsteadily. Or, or rather, I didn't find it. In my brain? He asked, looking worried. She half rose in her chair and leaned across the table to lightly guide his hand and the MRI film up towards the overhead light, illuminating a shadowy human skull and the brain tissue within. His hand wasn't so cold now, its familiar warmth spreading over hers, at even this brief, innocent touch. She wanted to kiss that hand, or squeeze it, or caress it, or express her love for him in some way. If he had reached out his fingers to hers, she would have. But he remained still, as though she weren't touching him at all. You see this area here? She said, her finger circling an area in the center of his brain. There should be a tiny structure visible here, called the pineal gland. Yours is gone. Gone, he echoed. Do you recall having brain surgery at the facility? She asked carefully. I don't recall much of anything, he answered, still dazed by the sight of his own brain. I remember being kind of half-woken and taken to this other room sometimes where they hooked me up to treadmills and electrodes and made me run, shit like that, but brain surgery? He said the words with faint astonishment. No. Well, they removed your pineal gland, she said as matter-of-factly as she could manage. I can't even figure out how they did it. It's an incredibly delicate operation to remove it, even under the best of circumstances, even with skilled surgeons. Frankly, I'm amazed you even survived it. Why would they remove it? He asked. I'm not sure, of course, but if I had to guess, 
I'd say they were trying to interfere with your sleep patterns. The pineal gland releases a hormone called um, melatonin, which helps you sleep. His eyes registered his understanding, and he nodded, looking back at the MRI. His jaw muscle flexed as his eyes roamed over it. She didn't know what he was seeing, whether it was something on the film or something in his own mind that shadowed his eyes. But he became still, his cool eyes brooding. I guess that they wanted a soldier that didn't need sleep, she said after a moment. That's all I can figure. Yeah, well, I got one, he said. The good news is I can give you artificial melatonin, she said, her voice sounding so artificially bright that she worked at toning it down. It's an um, easy fix. He didn't say anything, but his eyes drifted from the film to find hers, taking her in with that cool detachment she dreaded. She forced herself not to look away. I brought some with me. I want you to start taking it tonight. Will it work? He finally asked, his voice breaking a little. He cleared his throat. Um, will I, will I be able to sleep? I can't promise anything, she said cautiously, dying to reach out and clasp his hand in hers. But it's worth a try. You need to sleep. You need to dream. Dreams I can do without, he sat back again. I can't stand the few that I do have. Regardless, you need to dream. It's amazing to me that you get by so well with so little REM sleep. Why don't you just sedate me once a week, pump me full of morphine or something, let me catch up on what I need? He asked pointedly. That's sedation, that's not sleep, and it's very dangerous. He shrugged and began twirling the cup around his fingers. As if dangerous no longer had any meaning for him. She debated telling him what she had discovered was actually kind of good news. He was lucky, if she could call anything that had happened to him lucky, that whoever took him had tried removing his pineal gland first, before resorting to another surgical method of curtailing his need for sleep. If a certain pathway in his brain had been surgically severed, he would have been doomed to an utterly sleepless existence for the rest of his life. But she decided not to tell him this. Maybe... Like Nick, there were things that he didn't need to know either. She glanced at him, sitting back a little more stiffly now, staring at his coffee cup. Look, it's important to try the melatonin. You have to increase your REM sleep. But believe me, I understand why you don't want to dream. I've heard your nightmares, she said quietly. I know how much trouble you have. His eyes flashed up to her so quickly she realized that he was, as always, much more alert and aware of himself than he usually appeared. Their gazes locked and something subtle passed between them, some knowing glance that expressed discomfort and familiarity all at once. He lowered his gaze furiously, embarrassment creeping across his features as the rosiness returned, but this time not from cold. She didn't want to make this harder for him than it had to be, so she scrambled for something else to discuss, something without so much personal meaning, something not quite so embarrassing. Another major problem is your red blood cell count, she said quickly, snatching up a lab report. 
which, regrettably, is going to be even higher once we've spent a week at this altitude. She frowned out the window. I had no idea Nick had chosen a place so far above sea level. He didn't meet her eyes, just stared fiercely at his coffee cup. She continued swiftly. I haven't been able to bring your red cell count down, and I have no idea why. The drug that they gave you to boost it is long gone. Your body should have adjusted by now, but you still have twice the normal number of red blood cells. He frowned, finally allowing himself to look at her again. Isn't that a good thing? Isn't that, like, blood doping, like the athletes do? Yes, she said. It has its benefits, but... In your case, it's the reason that your blood pressure has been so high. It's why I've had you on the same blood pressure meds I'd give an 80-year-old smoker. He regarded her with suddenly sharp eyes. Is that why you didn't clear me for last month's op? Because I have the blood pressure of an 80-year-old? On top of the stress you've been under, yes, she admitted, swallowing. It was the main reason. I couldn't let you go on a stressful assignment in that state, not until I stabilized you. Which I did, she added quickly. The meds are helping. You're down to just slightly above normal now. Great, he muttered. Please, go on. In how many other ways am I totally fucked up? He hated this, she realized. He hated hearing about how much he had been changed. How he was so much more of a man in so many ways, and yet so much less of one in so many others. She could almost see the thoughts flitting through his mind, and she wanted to reach across the table and take his hand, to comfort him. But he would hate that even more. I don't have all the answers, Eric, she said carefully. I've told you all along I don't want to risk removing those pellets yet, because I'm not sure it would be safe to do so. But I'm working on it. She tried to sound soothing. It'll just take time. In the meantime, we can deal with the effects of the testosterone at least. For that, we can... Yeah, I know. His laugh was joyless and harsh. I know how you want me to deal with that. By fucking. That'll solve everything. Eric, no, don't sugarcoat it. I'm just a walking, talking hard-on that needs to fuck, right? You said so yourself. And you've been most obliging, too, Doc. Thanks. She felt her cheeks flame and she looked down, unable to meet his piercing gaze. God, not this again. Not the recriminations and the anger. Not after the progress they'd made. Not after the night they'd spent together. She swallowed and willed herself to stay strong as she looked up at him. You are none of those things, she said quietly. I never said you were. I said you were a man who needed... Yes, you did. He cut her off bitterly. You brought me up here so I could get my rocks off. And yours, too, apparently. Maybe that's what this is really all about. He paused, averting his eyes. But you aren't the first woman who wanted to fuck me, you know? You could have just told me what you wanted and skipped all this bullshit. Eric, for God's sake, I'm trying to help you, she said, too plaintively, trying to deflect his hurtful words. It was the hormones talking, and she knew it. It was the hormones and the painful memories of the ambush, his captivity, everything. He had spoken more frankly about his problems in the last ten minutes than he had in the last ten months, and it had cost him dearly to do so. But she had to steel herself against the rebellious lump that rose in her throat anyway. Just 
Let me help you. If you need to have sex... Look, I can jerk off five times a day. It doesn't help, okay? He shot back, his eyes looking almost wild, as though he didn't want to be telling her this but couldn't help himself. If you want to know every last personal fucking detail about me, there you go. The heat in her cheeks began to creep up into her forehead now and down her neck. I'm not trying to pry, she said calmly. But if you can deal with your urges... I told you, it doesn't help, he said, anger making his own cheeks color. I fucked you. Even that didn't help. What do you mean? She frowned. We were only together twice. You said I needed you. His voice rose. That if I fucked you, it would help. Well, it hasn't. He was glaring at her with bitter accusation, anger flinting in his eyes. I still fucking want you all the goddamn time. It didn't solve anything. I don't feel satisfied now that I've had you. All it did was make me want to fuck you even more. Well, maybe you should just fuck me then, she snapped. The way you want to. The way you would if you weren't so fucking scared. He stared at her, as shocked by her language as she was. Her heart was pounding, absolutely thundering in her chest, and the blood swishing through her ears made her feel almost dizzy. God, was testosterone catching? She was turning into him, for God's sake. Heat scorched her cheeks now, so hot she felt sunburnt. She had to calm down. Eric, I'm sorry, she said, shame coursing through her. She dragged in a deep breath. I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. His eyes narrowed and the line of his jaw firmed. He glowered at her, as if holding back a hundred things he wanted to shout at her. But finally he just scowled braced his elbows on the table. Fine, whatever. We done here? She glanced down at her computer, skimming the notes she'd written to herself. She needn't have bothered. Her vision was so blurred she couldn't read the lines of text anyway. They weren't even close to being done. They hadn't even scratched the surface. But she could feel his leg bobbing under the table, saw his fingers drumming against his coffee cup, saw the brittle anger glittering in his eyes. He looked like a defiant teenager, waiting to be released from detention. And frankly, she didn't want to hear any more of his accusations, or any more insults. She was starting to feel a bit sick, and didn't think she could continue anyway. For now, she said, sitting back and folding her arms over her chest. But, good, he was up and out of the chair before she could even finish her sentence. She closed her mouth and slumped a little and watched him take the stairs, two at a time, until he was safely in his room.